Now, we're starting a, a new sermon series. We just finished the book of, Mar- uh, book of James, sorry. And now we're going to the book of Jonah. Um, Jonah's interesting because it's, I think for the most part, we, all of us kind of know the story of Jonah to a point, right? We've heard of it. Even um, in the secular world, people have heard of the story of Jonah. Um, and it's kind of just a simple story of a man um, running away from God and God chasing after him. And that's kind of the whole story, right? Um, and so I, just, I want to tell you guys a, a story, not really a story, just my, a little bit of my life. Um, when, when I introduce uh, myself to people uh, and I start to talk about myself, a question that I always get um, is, why did you go to California for college? That's the question that I think I always get. And I always give the same answer. Um, number one, uh, I always want to go to California, which is partially true. I mean, I think I want to. Number two, I wanted to go to a Christian school. Uh, not, not too much, but kind of, right? <laughs> and not at that time. Number three, uh, I wanted to live by the beach, which is absolutely true, right? I, that's what I wanted. But honestly, the main reason... I went so far away for college was because I just didn't want to be here. Um, I was born and raised in Falls Church. I was born and raised in this city here, about only about 10 minutes away. Um, and I remember when I was about 10 years old, uh, my dad, he came up to me in my room, and he asked me this one question. I didn't realize it at the time, but that one question was a an absolutely life-changing question. And it was really simple. He just said, Danny, what do you think if I became a pastor? That's all he said to me. And I think I was just like reading a book or something. I was like, oh, okay, sure. And I, <laughs> I didn't know what that really meant. Uh, but I said, okay, yeah, why not? Yeah, you can, I think that's, that, that should be fine. But what I didn't realize at that moment was how different things would be. Because I think if you guys have been uh, a pastor's kid before, PK, then you realize that there's a lot of burden that comes with that. Um, There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And I remember even when I was younger, one thing that um, was constantly reiterated to me was, uh, Danny, the the words and the actions and, and the behavior that you present represent this family and therefore represent the church. And that's what I kept on hearing all the time. And so that, that burden is something that I kind of had to grow up with. But the thing is, to be honest, I could handle that. And for me, I, I wanted to do well. And, and to be honest, I, I kind of wanted to be an example. So I was, I was actually okay uh, with that. But there was something that happened when my dad became a pastor. There was something that happened during that time frame of when I was 10 years old to when I was 18 that slowly began to destroy my relationship with God. And it got to the point where I hated being here. You see, one of the biggest blessings, and yet also at that time, one of the biggest, I felt like, curses of my life was that God had called my entire family into ministry. You know, my brother at that time, he was a youth pastor of the church, and my sister, she was the children's pastor, and my dad was the senior pastor of the church. And so when people saw me, 
their first response was to say, hey, that's the senior pastor's son. Hey, that's the, uh, that's the youth pastor's brother. And I would get so frustrated. I would say, no, no, I'm not his son. He's my father. He's my father. No, no, I'm, I'm not his brother. He's my brother. That's my sister, right? <laughs> and I would get so frustrated because I felt like in one moment, I had woken up and I completely lost my own identity. And I had, no one had told me about this. No one had said that this would happen. No one had approached me and said, is this okay for you to, for, for you to be known as this? No, no one said anything like that. And yet one day I would wake up and I was gone. And I was just simply known as that person's brother, that person's son, and I hated it. And so for me, I decided in that moment that I would run away. And I went to the furthest place that I possibly could from Northern Virginia, and that was Southern California. <laughs> and the first year I was there, literally the first year I was there, I didn't mention a single thing about my family. In fact, when people would ask me, I would avoid the question. I would avoid answering at all costs. And it was to the point where I wouldn't even talk about my family. I would refuse to talk about God. Because I realized that my frustration began in that moment when I was 10 years old. And my dad decided to follow God's calling on his life. So as time went on, I said to myself, between the ages of 10 and 18, I said, God, I'll worship you, but I'm not going to worship you like this. No, no, no. And so for me, as I began to grow up and as I look back now, I realized that I had this if statement in my life. God, I will worship you if you don't take my identity away. God, I will serve and obey you if you don't take my name away. And I didn't realize this at the time, but at the end of that if statement, you see, that's what I truly cared about. And that's what I was basing my identity upon. You know, Jonah is... It's one of the most famous books in the Bible. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And most of us know the basics, right? God called this man named Jonah to preach to the city called Nineveh, but he doesn't want to, so he runs away. But there's this underlying question that we have to understand. This underlying question that's so important because it's, because it's absolutely foundational in how we understand sin. And the question is, why does Jonah run away? And it's for this one simple reason. It's because Jonah had this huge if statement. This book of Jonah is a book about sin and grace. But it's interesting because, you see, the word sin is never used here. Instead, what we're going to see is that Jonah's sin is exactly what we struggle with. And this sin is the reason why we run away from God and at the same time run away from our calling. 
You see, in verse 1, it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In the Bible, we see this phrase, the word of the Lord came to, uh, we see this in Jeremiah, we see this in Isaiah, we see this in Hosea, because in the Hebrew, what this phrase means is it's describing the function of a prophet. You see, prophets, they were called to preach the word of God. But in verse 3, it says that Jonah ran away from the presence of God. You know, we, we look at this and we say, oh, this might have just been a simple act of disobedience, that this was just one-time thing. No, you have to understand that Jonah's purpose in life was to be a prophet, that God had called him to be a prophet. And yet Jonah, he decided to look at God's calling and run away from it. And so he wasn't just running away from God, he was running away from God's calling on his life. You know, a lot of us have this question, what is God's calling on my life? What does God really want from me? What has God really purposed for me? And we wonder if we missed out on what he planned for us because maybe God wanted us to go for this specific job and, and we're doing something that maybe isn't what God had planned. Maybe that God wanted us to marry this specific person, but it doesn't seem like that's going to work out. So what's God's calling on my life? And more, and more importantly, what if I missed it? See, here's the thing. In the beginning, God created everything through the words he spoke. He said, be light, and there was light. He said, be stars, and there were stars. God called things into existence through his words. But it wasn't just existence. He called things into purpose. He didn't make things to simply make things. That's not the God of our, that's not the God that we worship. He's not a God who simply makes things and runs away. He's not a deist in that way. He makes things, everything with a purpose. He makes everything with a plan. Even the rocks, even the grass, even the stars, even the light. He made everything with a purpose in mind from the very beginning through his words. And by calling them into being, he gave them a purpose. For us, we equate our calling with our jobs and with our spouse, but those things aren't our calling. Your calling is your identity, and your identity is to love God. Your identity is found in the Word of God, and as long as you stay there, you are in your calling. Do you see that? We think on the peripheral, we think always secondary, that maybe our calling is based purely upon our job, that maybe our calling is based purely on every decision that we need to make. No, no, no. Your calling is based upon the word that God has spoken into your life, had called into existence for you, and that's your identity. And your identity is to simply know and to love God. And when you're following your calling in that way, everything else will flow from that. In Matthew 6, it says that the birds in the sky are protected and cared for by God, that he feeds them, that he cares for them. And yet, how much more valuable are you than birds? Do you understand that whatever your job is, no matter what you are doing with your life right now, that God can use it to fulfill his purpose in your life, that whoever you are married to, 
That whether you believe that you may have missed the person that you're supposed to be with, do you believe that God can use that person to fulfill his purpose in your life? That God is bigger than every decision that you can make? Do you believe that God can transform your life into something that you could, have, you could never have imagined? See, those things are good, and those things, yes, are important, but those things are not your calling. Your calling is simple. It's to follow the word of God. But you see, here in this passage, Jonah, he says, no, no I'm going to go the other way. He says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away because I want to build my identity away from you, God. And that's what it means in verse 3 when it says that jo Jonah ran away from the presence of God. It literally means Jonah ran away from the face of God. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? What does it mean to even run away from that? Because, I mean, isn't God everywhere? Isn't God in all places at all times? So how can, we, how can Jonah run away from the presence of God? You see, being in the presence of God means that God is at the very center of who you are. So when it says that Jonah ran away from God, it means that he ran away from God being the very center of who he is. You know, for a lot of us, it's not a question of who we're running from. It's what are we running towards? Because if God is not the center of your life, then there's something else that is. And that's where this if statement comes in. We mentioned in the beginning that Jonah ran away because there was a sin in his life, and it was this if statement. And when we read the story, it, it makes sense that Jonah would run away because when we first read it, it looks like he's really scared. He's really fearful. Nineveh is this huge city, and in the Bible it says that they were really evil. And so when you think about a prophet going into this city to talk about God, you know, think about maybe back then in World War II, if, if a prophet comes into the middle of Germany and begins to talk about Jesus or begins to talk about these different things, what, what would be the, the best case scenario? Maybe he would be imprisoned. Maybe he would maybe be chased away. Jonah, in his mind, the best case scenario for him would be the same exact thing. It would be maybe to, to get chased out or to be in prison. Worst case scenario, beaten, tortured, and killed. But you see, we know something about Jonah, and it's in 2 Kings 14. Because in this passage, it says that Israel was returning to his former glory, that Israel was beginning to get all of this land back, that they were winning victory after victory, that they were going against all these different places and countries and beating them. But what's interesting is that in this passage, it says the prophet who was leading the king was a man named Jonah. At that time, Jonah was one of the most successful leaders in one of the most successful periods of Israel. But there was one obstacle. There was one obstacle, and it was the kingdom of Assyria. Because these people, they were growing, and they were totally against Israel. And the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. 
So all throughout Jonah's life, he's heard God say, go to this country and defeat them. Go to this country and defeat them. And finally, and finally, it's a serious turn. It's the one obstacle that's left in front of them. It's the one thing that will lead them to victory. So it's the one place that they have to hurdle over. And the word of God comes to Jonah, and it says, go to Nineveh and forgive them. Ask them to repent, and I will not destroy them. You see, Jonah, he was this great leader, and he had these expectations for what God would do. But God didn't meet his expectations. So Jonah runs away. You see, Jonah didn't run away because he was scared. Jonah ran away because he was furious at God. He had this if statement, I will worship you, God. I will serve you, God, if you grow Israel, if you continue to bring this success into my life. And when that if statement was challenged, Jonah's entire identity was shaken, and he runs away. Now, finally, there's this one question, and what does God do now? Because how is God supposed to reorient Jonah when Jonah is a prophet of God? It doesn't make sense. Because, you know what, if someone was going in the wrong direction, if someone was going the other way, you know what I would probably say? Have you been reading the Bible? You know, have you been praying? Have you been going to church? Most of the time the answer would be no. But if you say this to Jonah, a prophet of God, you know what his answer would be? Probably yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing all those things. I've been praying. Yeah, I've been going to church. I've been doing all of these different things. So how are you supposed to reorient a man who is a faithful man of God, who follows all of the rules, and how do you change someone who is doing all the right things? Well, in verse 4, it says that God brings a storm. You know, I was reading this article, uh, and the title was, do not buy oceanfront property, right? I don't, I don't know why I was reading it, but uh, the, the article was uh, saying that the reason you shouldn't buy property on the beach is because storms are particularly devastating to them. Uh, storms on land, they may um, shift some things, right? They may go and, and they may like hurl some things back and forth, but uh, on beaches, Man, if a storm or tsunami or something comes like that, it is devastating. Because when storms come on beaches, they completely transform them. But the thing is, it says that scientists say that storms are supposed to do that. That beaches aren't meant to stay still. And that storms are meant to actually shift the shoreline, that storms are actually meant to transform the layout. And it's that we're the ones who have planted down and built homes on something that wasn't meant to hold us. You see, church, storms are, are meant to transform you. Storms are meant to shift your identity from one thing to another. And yet for us, 
And yet for us, we plant down on things that are never meant to hold us. We plant down on things, and yet when storms come, we get so bewildered, we get so upset, we get so angry. But the thing is, storms are supposed to do that. They're supposed to come. They're supposed to transform. It's us that aren't meant to stay on beaches. See, Jonah, he needed a transformation of his identity. He needed God to not only shift him, but to transform him. But the thing is, church, the, the storm is there not to force you to God, but it's there to make you choose. Storms happen because it takes away all the superficiality, and it shows your if statement, and it asks you to choose your identity. You see, what we see in Jonah is that in the midst of the storm, he begins to believe, right? I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Matrix, but all throughout Matrix, right, it's an old movie, the Neo, right, the main guy, he, the one thing that he's told to do, the one rule that he's given is that he needs to run away, that when he sees an agent, he runs, constantly run, just run, just run. And yet at the very end, we see in the subway station, right, he sees this agent, he begins to run, and yet he stops and he turns. And the people are like, well, what is he doing? What is he doing? And, and they're looking at the gibberish on the screen. They're like trying to read it. They're like, what is he doing? And, and Morpheus, he goes, he's starting to believe, right? For Jonah also, in this single moment here, when the storm comes, he's starting to believe. He's starting to understand that he has to make a choice. Because what storms end up doing is that they take away everything so that oh, the only thing that exists is that either you have to choose the if statement or you have to choose God. You can't be in between. And when you choose the if statement, then you run. But if you choose God, then you stay. See, in verse 9, we see Jonah and, and the sailors, they ask him, they say, who are you? They ask him that one question, who are you? That's an identity question. And he answers, he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the God who sent the storm. I worship the God of these seas. Jonah, he believes, and instead of running, he trusts in God, and he's thrown over the boat and is swallowed by a fish, Right? Isn't that a ridiculous way to get saved? <laughs> I think we've heard the story so much that it just becomes kind of whatever, but isn't that just so ridiculous, right? And, and I think that is so ridiculous that there are so many different interpretations of this fish. I was reading through different commentaries, right, because I, I wanted to kind of understand what, what people are saying, and there's a lot of commentaries that believe that this wasn't a literal fish. Um, because if it was a literal fish that swallowed up Jonah and kept him for three days, then that would be too unbelievable. It would just be absolutely too ridiculous and too weird that it just couldn't exist. You know, one commentator said that Jonah, uh, he was drowning, and there was a ship 
that came in called the great fish. And that came in and, and saved him, and he stayed there for three days, and that's where he kind of wrote the rest of the story. But for us, we believe that this actually happened. And there's a good reason why, and I'm going to tell you. It's because storms are natural, but the fish is a miracle. And in the Bible, judgment is natural, grace is a miracle. The things that you are going through, sometimes they could be by accident, but a lot of times they're because of what we've done, because we've messed up. And those things are a result of our sin. We are broken people living in a broken world, and we deserve judgment, and we deserve death, because that's natural. But the most unbelievable thing happened, something that could only be classified as a miracle, and that is that God of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence, the one who spoke the very stars in the sky, the one who spoke you into existence, he loves you and cares for you. And so what did he do? He sent his one and only son to come to earth to live a perfect life and yet to die the worst death so that you and I could have eternal life. Does that make any sense? Of course not. And it shouldn't because it's a miracle. Jonah, he deserved to die and he chose something other than God, and yet God chose him. And yet God, in his wisdom, in his unfailing grace, sent a miracle, a fish. And for you, church, maybe you're going through a storm at this moment, but you know what? I hope and I pray that you will praise God through that. Because it's only in that storm that you'll experience the fish. And the reason that for me I can stand here and speak to you is not because of my ability, is not because of my passion, is because when I ran away from God, he sent a storm to transform me and he sent himself to save me. And so for me, I pray for storms in your life not to hurt you, but to transform you. And in that transformation, for you to understand that there is a fish there, and that's God's grace in your life. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.